welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, where we talk about how writing works, how writers work, and how the best writers risk being strange. And I'm talking to Brady Teal. Um, and Brady has a novel out called Mended. It's a science fiction uh, novel uh, and you know, Brady's debut novel. Um, and I want to talk to Brady uh, about the process of putting this novel out and the process of kind of, you know, putting out your first, you know, kind of major thing as a writer. Um, and just sort of, um, and the kind of personal connection here is that Brady took uh, my creative writing class. And I'm always interested uh, in, you know, I teach so many people, you know, at the University of Winnipeg, and sometimes I'll teach at the University of Manitoba, or I'll just, you know, be doing, you know, personal one-to-one things. Um, I'm always interested who ends up doing things and who doesn't, um, because of course, most people don't. Uh, and so uh, congrats on completing the book and putting it out. Um, and maybe say a little bit about yourself, Brady, and about the book. Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, first of all. Um, so yeah, I took uh, your creative writing course. I think that was two years ago now, maybe, right around there. And uh, right now, I'm kind of uh, slowed down on the whole uh, school thing. I'm not in uh, university at the moment. Um, taking a, a term off to work and to focus on the book and kind of hopefully kickstart that so I can I can keep doing that. But yeah, the book is uh it's a it's a science fiction story. Um and it's a pretty crazy story. A lot of people that have read it so far, um, friends and family have a lot of people tell me that uh it, it sounds about right for for me and what I've always been interested in. So yeah, it was, it was a long process, but to, to finally have it out and uh, to be dedicating a lot of spare time to that is uh, is pretty rewarding and, and pretty big. Yeah, and if you're not in Winnipeg, if you're in Winnipeg, it's in different you know local places. But if you're not in Winnipeg, the best place uh, right now to go for this book, uh, to check it out is on Amazon. Yeah. Again, the book's called Mended and then Brady, B-R-A-D-Y. T-I-E-L, Brady Teal. And I just want to read people the um, description that you have on Amazon here because I love how this description develops. Um, Mended finds the past and present colliding as a secret revolutionary technology threatens to destabilize human history. Two brothers, consumed by a conspiracy theory that has gripped the most of their lives, find themselves face-to-face with the very thing they thought was not possible, an operational time machine. The only thing standing in the way of a new global superpower happens to be 300 years in the past in the form of some of history's most feared men, 17th century pirates. <laughs> to me, yeah. that last line, that last sentence is, you know, the a real twist. Uh, and I'm curious to know just a bit about, um, you know, uh, how you kind of came about this, writing this story. Yeah, um, it's come from a lot of, of different things. Um which was uh, the whole, I knew I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to do something with uh, the pirates. Like that was the original idea to write a story, having um, these historical pirates. So there's a lot of the characters or a handful of the characters um, that are the pirates. Anyway, the people in the past are, most of them are, were real people. So there was a bunch of research and I'm not a big history buff, but that time period and that, um little piece of history has always interested me for some reason so I knew I wanted to write about the pirates and uh but I wasn't so sure how to do a story um just 
solely in the 17th century on pirates so uh then i started playing around with the idea because i've always been a science fiction guy and so then kind of figured out how can i bridge the gap between uh doing something that people would better understand that's more modern but at the same time that i would like to enjoy writing in the uh in terms of history and the pirates so that kind of all uh, came together and that was right on the heels too of uh of avengers endgame coming out so it was a big time travel story and so i watched that and then um talking about that with friends and stuff and because every movie has their own rules for time travel and everything right so that was a pretty big uh big deal to kind of set rules for myself something that's different but something that is still a uh, easy enough to manage without creating these glaring plot holes in the story and so what precisely did you kind of decide to do or not do when it comes to the time travel because you do point out that there's a really uh, time travel is one of those things that is done a lot in fiction but is rarely done you know in a way that is sensible in fiction but also right. you have the basic problem that it's not sensible right <laughs> fundamentally exactly. and and you can't overcomplicate it in fiction yeah. you know so you'll have like you know and, and what i find with time travel stories is the ones that stand out really stand out right um like primer for example but even primer is very hard to kind of fathom what's going on precisely the terminator right. makes more sense like to an audience but if, once you start thinking about it uh, makes less and less sense you know like right. so you kind of have that problem i find always in time travel is more or less the more the right audience thinks about it um often the less sense it makes but there's a level at which you need the audience to be thinking about it right and i think the big thing for me was something that i mean i guess in, in one way you can call it uh kind of lazy writing if you wanted to but i think uh, I, I knew from the beginning I didn't want any there to be time travel where the characters are seeing themselves or meeting themselves. Like I'd, I'd never want to do that because then I knew that was going to be a slippery slope and that'd be way too hard to uh, explain that in a way that makes sense or is actually fun to read. So I knew that was off the table. And uh, so when this technology gets developed in the book, um, I kind of had fun playing with it in the sense that there was really the rules were so vague in the book for what was uh, quote unquote allowed and not allowed because the technology was new in the book. So no one else really knew how it worked either. So you have they the just characters. need to do the thing they're doing in the story. Exactly. They don't need to, you know, unveil all the possible things that could happen right and i and i think that was a, a pretty big uh like something that is pretty relatable to the real world too where uh i always i personally believe anyway there's so much new technology coming out that uh the the pace at, at which we advance is a lot faster than our our morals are advancing so we we make these things not really understanding the uh consequences that they might have so that kind of played into the story too, where we're using this technology, um, not fully understanding what we're unleashing on ourselves and to other people. The other thing I think that it often gets forgotten by uh, writers when they're dealing with technology in a story is that the real way that technology works in the world is that it changes constantly. 
Right. Um, you know, so like you'll get a PS five and then like two a year later, there's a new PS five, you know, that's how the yeah. technology works in the real world. And right. they'll off, or they'll just update your existing PS five, you know, magically exactly. from the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> and even though you've got the same device you had a week ago, it now it does different things. Like that's how technology actually operates. But right. As I think we'll often like, fixate on the idea that they have to have like exactly how this technology operates all figured out and explained to the reader. Uh, and often the reader just doesn't one care. They, they understand there's no time machine, <laughs> right? right? They're just by, they just need to buy into the idea uh, as far as the story is concerned early on. Um, and then, you know, basically, you know, once they've bought into like X, Y, and Z, as long as you don't throw B at them, they're fine. Mm-hmm. Um or you justify B when it comes in or whatever, you know, like I think a lot of people on one hand overthink the technology and they'll do all this world building. I see this with fantasy more than science fiction, but you also will see it all in science fiction. They'll do all this kind of world building or future scaping or whatever you want to call it. And they won't um, remember that the reader doesn't care about any of that stuff. Right. Or they care about like the 10% that, you know, actually right. matters to the story in some way. Yeah, Not that you and, can be lazy about it, but like you say, you know, you, you know, they don't need to meet if they're going 300 years and back in the past, they're not going to meet themselves, right? You know, so it doesn't need to be figured out exactly whether that could happen or how or whatever, exactly. And uh, yeah, and then to write uh, these characters going into the past when they meet uh, the, the other characters who are existing in the past who have no obviously no concept of uh um anything much less a time machine right they don't they don't know um like even what uh which comes into play later in the in the book um like a motorboat for pirates like this is this is insane right they, they don't know anything mm-hmm. like that so getting to write uh and then that kind of covers itself too because then obviously you don't have to explain anything about the time machine to those characters because they even if you tried to explain it, those characters don't have a hope of understanding what is really going on anyway. So there's only a few characters who really um, were, or sections in the book even that you really had to, uh, that I really had to have any semi explanation for uh, the workings of it. And, and throughout the book, it kind of gets, it builds on itself. It's littered throughout. You slowly uh, find out more and more how it works, but uh but yeah, the mystery of um, why it opens up to where it opens up and and everything is kind of ambiguous as it it's so new. It, we're just more excited to use it than to understand it, really. And then um, something I'm, I just, again, just kind of go back to uh, something I said, mentioned earlier. I'm always interested in, um, you know, when I teach students, um, you know, often I complain to my friends that like <laughs> the students, what they need to do is not listen to me <laughs> or listen to me. Don't listen to me, whatever. Like, that's not really what I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, I think they should listen to me, but even if they don't like the, what's going to make the difference fundamentally is not like, did they learn my lesson or, but are they going to do anything? Um, whether I like do the thing I said or don't, or do something else that I didn't say, but like just doing something. And I'm always interested in who does things and who doesn't do things. So I'm curious to know, like for you, like what was kind of your journey a little bit, like from like 
uh, you know, around that time when you were taking the class and, you know, doing like right. serious work on writing, what kind of moved you forward to kind of keep doing stuff after the class and kind of get to the point where you're putting out a, a book yourself? Because there's a lot of things that go into that. So like one, you decided to keep writing, which a lot of people don't do. Um, two, you actually completed a project. So a lot of people will write endlessly and not complete a project. Uh, and then three, uh, you, in this case, have actually uh, moved into uh, self-publishing the project, which, you know, many people don't do. So a lot of people will complete a project and not put it out. Uh, and then, of course, you know, putting it out yourself takes a whole uh, sort of other level. So I'm just curious, kind of like, know a bit of your um, path there. Um, and like, what maybe um, are some of the reasons that you uh, ended up here? where you're putting out a book versus, you know, not, not doing that, not like quitting or, um, you know, not publishing it or, um, not finishing it. Like what are some of the sort of the things that I, I'm always curious to know, like what separates the wheat from the chaff in that sense. And like where you were okay. hit problems and overcame them versus like right. not. Yeah. Uh, so when I took your course, I had started, I was, partially underway writing already um publishing or like any thought of publishing was was not even there yet um but then it, pretty much exactly what you just said um the difference of between people who or the number of people who start writing and the number of people who don't finish their project or don't publish a project is uh it's a fraction of those people which and i think when you said that the first time in the class that that really um I really, I really connected with that because, um, I was like, I really want to be, I want to be, uh, the, I want to finish it. I want to see this whole thing through. And, uh, even going back further than that, all through high school and elementary, I was a huge, huge, uh, um, star Wars nerd and super into that. And I actually ran a social media page, which I still have, but seldom use anymore um that was for star wars to talk about star wars and to essentially geek out with other people who were as into it as i was and i was running that for years and then eventually it got to a point um probably at the beginning of university um when i was like as much as i like star wars and as much as i love dedicating my time to this to talk about it i don't think i was ever getting a sense of fulfillment from it because it kind of dawned on me that it's like as much as I love this and as much as I know it like the back of my hand I won't ever be able to contribute to Star Wars unless I want a big lawsuit from Disney um so that kind of hit me where I was like I love this but I can't really do anything with it this is kind of just a a hobby so then that was when I was like I, I I need to write my own projects I need to do something that I'm in full control of but that I'm equally as passionate about so I started writing this and then uh, I took your course and then you, you said those words about uh, it's just a fraction of the people who start writing actually finish writing and go on to publish. So in March, this coming March, it would have been five years, I think, um, since the day one of typing out the first word. So it was a long process. And of course, uh, there were days um, 
There were days I didn't write. There were weeks I didn't write or months I didn't write in that span. And, um, but I always came back to it and I always, I always knew I, I have to finish this. I, I need to finish this. And there were jobs, um, that I had that I didn't really enjoy and stuff I was doing. I was like, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I, I want to do something that I'm excited about and that I'm passionate about. And on top of that, um, that other people hopefully will be passionate about that. It can be kind of a shared experience, which is always that again, goes way back to the, to the star Wars days, having shared the experience with people. I, I knew I wanted to, uh, to keep doing that, to, to connect with people in something that we both really, really like. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to think of which speech I give where I say that, but like, I know that one of the things I often will try to do is break down the numbers for people because people have a hard time. Like if you go and look at um, stats related to the writing and publishing industry, you'll, you'll find things out like, you know, publishers have this slush pile and they get like, you know, thousand submissions a month or whatever it is. Like there'll be some big number like that. Mm -hmm. And people will have the idea that, oh, well, you know, if this place is getting like a thousand submissions a month, you know, that means they're getting like a hundred thousand plus a year, you know, how could you possibly, you know, uh, the, the, the odds are so overwhelming. Right. And on a level, one level, that's true. Uh, like, you know, those are the kinds of stats where we have this kind of overwhelming uh, numbers. However, uh, the thing that people often forget is like, um, the bigger stat is like the people who just start something and don't finish, don't do anything, um, or start something and don't finish it. Um, and then once you're past, like once you're actually at the point where you're like submitting to a publisher, say, um, the other side of it is that most of those submissions are instantly disqualified. Uh, so even if, if somebody's getting a thousand submissions, you know, realistically they have a hundred submissions right. at best. Uh, because 900, like 90% of them are instantly disqualified because they're just absolute nonsense. Right. And obviously so, uh, like you can just open it up and it's like, you, you read one page and you can throw it in the trash, uh, for whatever reason. And sometimes it's very simple reasons. Like, you know, these people publish horror, you've sent them a romance novel. Right. And, and like the, the real numbers are not the reported numbers. Um, so on one hand, it's easier uh, than it seems. On the other hand, it's harder than it seems because the bigger hurdle is e e not even getting published so much, especially these days, but you have like self-publishing tools and there's a level at which publishing has been democratized. Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways, publishing itself has not become the hurdle, but finishing is a massive hurdle. And then, uh, of course, getting, you know, sales or noticed or whatever becomes the hurdle. And, and the interesting thing you say about Star Wars there. Like the, it, it is an interesting point because I'll also talk to a lot of students who have like some idea that they're really passionate about pursuing, like they want to write, you know, a, a, a musical based on their bands, their favorite band's album, or they want to write like a, um, yeah, a Star Wars movie, or they want to write something. They'll have like this massive thing, but they don't control, they want to write a Batman story. I was just talking to somebody the other day online who wants to write a Wonder Woman novel. And I was like, there is a path to writing a Wonder Woman novel, right? but the path is not you write a Wonder Woman novel. The mm -hmm. path is you write your own novel. And then, you know, maybe you publish five more novels down the line, you might end up getting a, you know, like, like you might write a Wonder Woman novel. Exactly. Like, yeah. like, like I don't know if you know 
uh, there's a local writer here in Winnipeg. He works at the U of M, not the U of W where you were, but his name is David Annandale, uh, who I've interviewed on this podcast a while ago. I should have him back, but he uh, recently has been publishing Dr. Doom novels. Um, and he's done a lot, a lot of writing for Warhammer uh, as well. But he started out, of course, you know, publishing uh, like thrillers with the local publisher here. Mm. And, you know, eventually, you know, he started um, working with this established IP and so on. Now he's become like the go-to guy for like Marvel's Doom novels, um, which is, you know, again, something, you know, he, he, there is a path to that stuff but it's right. ironically not what people think, which is like, oh, I'll just start writing Dr. Doom novels or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. if I want, you want to write Star Wars, like ironically, the path to that is write your own science fiction novels. And then eventually exactly. you, know, you might, yeah. you know, it's hard to get down there, but at the same time, you know, there's more Star Wars than ever these days and they need people to write it. So like, it's interesting, uh, but but just to kind of go back to something you said though. Um, so when you're, in the project and you're taking, you know, weeks off or months off and then coming back to it, what's the thing that was bringing you back to it? Because I find that, you know, a lot of people just don't come back to it. I think honestly, um, maybe as, as bad as it might sound, the thing that would draw me back after a long break would be the, the bad days I would have where I was like, I need to do this. If not partly I need to do this for, the escape for myself um to just go into something different that's so isolated from the real world or the bad days in which i was like i need to do this for to hopefully have a future where i can keep doing this um where this isn't the only thing where i can wake up and not have to be stressed about um something else that i'm not looking forward to doing or that i don't want to do and and something like that so all the time um and of course sometimes that break those long breaks would be because i was genuinely busy not because i didn't want to write but obviously real life gets in the way sometimes and there's things that happen but i'd always come back just knowing um that i was like i have to finish this so that uh i can keep doing this because if i if i and i, and I always told myself if i don't do it now i'm probably never gonna do it um because as, as like the older I get and the more work I do, like life's only going to get busier from here on out. So I, I got it. If I'm going to do this, if I'm going to make it work. It has to be best to be now while it's ready, essentially ready to go while it's still in my mind. So there'd be times I came back and sometimes it'd be so long. Um, I would have 300 pages in a, in a Google doc and it'd be so long that when I came back, I'd have to read, from the beginning and and essentially read everything over again and get all the way down to where I had left off so that I could keep going. So I had probably read, I have told my friends this too and people I've sold it to. Um, I've read the book so many times that I'm uh, excited to never read it again <laughs> in my life. As yeah. happy as I am with it though. <laughs> you know, it's a real thing though. I mean, I do that all the time. I, I, I um, like, like get sick of it. And I guess, right. I mean, I still love it. You know, I dedicated, you know, however long in my life to it, but you get, you do get to the, especially if you publish it, you get to the point where like you're going through proofs, you're going through, you know, 
whatever you're just looking at it again and again or if you've been off it for a while and coming back to it like i said yep. you just have to remember what the hell is it on yeah um i i'll talk to people i did a book in 2010 i published a book in 2010 called Clockfire. um that people uh uh, that is, you know, one of my most popular books and people will often, and it, but it has like these 77 little plays that are impossible to produce. And it so it kind of reads like these little flash fictions and people who read that book will sometimes come up to me and start talking to me about their favorite play. And I will have like no clue what they're talking about. because <laughs> like, I don't even, I don't remember that was in there at all. And I'll be like, oh, that's a cool idea. You know? And, uh, but you know, I, but I got to that point where it's like, once it came out in 2010, I was like done. Right. Yeah. Like uh, my joke about it is like, by the time they're published, I won't read them again, unless you pay me, you <laughs> literally have to pay me to read yeah. from the book. Um, otherwise I, you know, I won't do it. Uh, but you know, but I mean, I, I love those books and everything. I'm proud of them, but it's like, you got other things to do. Right. And that's the other thing that kind of like that long view of it that you're talking about where, you know, I think that's an also a hard thing that people have, uh, and, and something that stops a lot of people is having the long view because what they'll often do is they'll, you know, either they won't, but let's say they do finish uh, a, a major project, um, like a book uh, of some sort. What people often do then is um, invest so heavily in that thing. Um, either they'll invest their money or their time or their, but, you know, which is fine, but like their psychic energy is the thing that they'll often invest and they'll get very, um, and I think it's normal to do it, but they'll get very invested in like how it does, like whether anyone's buying it or whether people like it or whatever. <laughs> and like, that's, I mean, it makes sense that you, one person would be invested in that, but what people will often forget is like, um, the most important thing isn't really so much how this thing is doing, but like how the, that you're doing another thing and another thing and another thing. Um, and often writers will get disappointed, like, for example, like how a book is selling, like I, I had a, but they won't realize that like the best thing they could do potentially is, I mean, yes, you gotta, you know, be beyond that book and promoting it, which is hard to do. Cause you're, you're often sick of it by that point, you know? Um, but, uh, the other side of it is like, one of the best things you can do to sell an old book is write a new book. Right. They, there's a saying in publishing that nothing sells a new book, like an old book or an old book, like a new book. And, uh, I remember I was talking to somebody a little while ago when my friends was saying, um, they're talking about a book of theirs and they're saying, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. You know, that book didn't, you know, sell super well. And I said to, to them, like, you don't know that, um, you know, uh, Dan Brown didn't sell any books until later, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, when his Da Vinci code hit now deception point is a bestseller, uh, which it never was. You know, uh, right. like, like you, you don't really know, like as long as they're in print, uh, their lifespan is still going. Like I just, um, woke up this morning and my phone told me I'd sold a book off my site. Um, and if somebody's buying that book off the site and that's an older book, you know, and if somebody's buying it direct from me off the site, that means someone's buying it on Amazon and I don't know about it yet kind of thing, you know, like, right. and I'm not promoting that book. So like, it, there's like whatever's happening is happening, you know, and you don't necessarily know, but yeah. the reason I'm selling books right now, like old books is because I'm doing a Kickstarter for this new project. Um, so it's literally a project that's not done and not out is selling like an old project that is done. And, okay. and until yeah. you have a body of work, that kind of stuff can't happen. Right. But a lot of people will stop before they get that body of work because they're just, they, they get so invested in one thing. Mm -hmm. 
I was talking to my daughter about this once and she was, she was, when we were driving the car when she was like a teenager and she was, you know, kind of getting more seriously into writing poetry. And she was saying something like, she was talking about like, how do you, you know, get over if people don't like your poetry or something. Cause I think I'd gotten a bad review of a book or something. And I was, and she had like seen that I got this bad review and I was saying like, yeah, she's like saying, oh, ask me like if it bothered me or something. I was like, you know what? Like, it doesn't really bother me. I go, because you got to understand that like that person doesn't like this one bo- poem or whatever. Right. I go, but I've written thousands of poems. I go, but if you've only written 10 poems, it makes sense that you'd have like a real investment in like how that people, what they think of that poem. I go, but for me, it's like, if nobody likes this poem, I got, you know, 10,000 more. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think you get to a certain point with books and things too. Like if you've only got one, it's really, you know, hard to divorce yourself from how it's doing or how it's people feel about it. Um, you know, and whereas if, once you start to kind of build a body work, it's like, it's more easy to kind of separate yourself and you can kind of pay attention to things that, you know, make you happy and you can kind of let the other things slide in a way right. like you get a healthier, like, you, you start to see the long view a little bit, um, but it's very hard to see that long view, especially when people um, are starting out. So I find it interesting that you uh, like, what, how did you manage to internalize that idea that like, Oh, you know, if I don't do this, then I won't be able to do this other thing later. You know, like, this is like, maybe not the only thing I have to do, but this is like a stepping stone to having like a career say um, like, cause a lot of people have a hard time getting that idea, but what I do notice is that people who tend to, um, um, you know, actually do well over the long term, they have some ability, you know, maybe some days they can't do it, but, but for the most part, they have an ability to connect to the idea that this is a part of a longer plan. Right. And maybe I don't know all the parts of the plan, but, uh, it's, I know at least like, I can't do anything unless I, like, I can't do X until I've done what, you know, yeah. Y here or whatever, you know? Um, yeah, I, I knew like when I wrote mended, um, and I knew I wanted to publish that. And I knew, like you said, I knew, um, like that it had to be done if I wanted to keep going. And once, as soon as, uh, I sent that off for editing, um, and I was told you, um, the book will be back to you in two to four weeks. And that was kind of when I was like, all right, that's, uh, that's two to four weeks to start doing something else now. So essentially, as soon as I had parted ways with that book or with Mended for editing, I started, uh, I went back into my Google Drive and started going through uh, old things that I had, I had stopped working on when I started dedicating a lot of the time to mend it and uh i started um refurbishing some stuff and then um some of the mental lines got drawn where it's like okay i i some of this is coming back to me with our, i remember what i wanted to do with this and so i pulled a few projects to the front and i was like hey i got a few weeks to uh to really do this now um so i started those ones and, and that was basically two weeks of um essentially forgetting mended was even a book at all where i was like i don't even care like it's, it's out of sight or to mind type of thing it's i don't have it right now so it's not my problem right now so i started writing these uh other stories um one of which i'm hoping to have finished the the first draft in the next uh month or two 
And uh, so, yeah, it was kind of just as soon as Mended was gone, it was a, a go, go, go type of mindset where and of course not uh, to rush any of this, because I know uh, I think I, I was a little or I am a little nervous still of all the time of uh, I know I need to keep writing so that I can keep on writing. But I want to be careful that everything that I'm writing, um, I'm still taking enough time. There's enough um, of me in this that it's not a rushed piece for the sake of writing a piece, that it all has to actually be something real and something um, that has a little bit of heart in it that was actually worth the time instead of just churning out story for the sake of uh, churning out stories. So that that's all that thought's always in the back of my mind that um so I'm always a little conscious of uh those decisions when I'm writing. And um so yeah, now that now that Mended's out and I'm promoting that and and then now in my spare time writing the second project that is nearing um initial completion, I'm just being very mindful that that is as fine-tuned as an idea that mended ended up being i want it to be on the same level where both of these ideas are uh one's mended's not on a higher pedestal than this next project so that, that thought scares me a little bit but uh it's it's a balancing act kind of did adam fuchs copy this uh i think um he did yeah. right yeah and he, he blurbed did. it well so yeah. me and adam would often like you would joke that like you know um, Adam would is the kind of guy who it's like he'll message me and he'll be like, Well, he goes, I just finished a book. Or I'll message him and I'll be like, Yeah, I just finished my manuscript, you know, finally. And he'll be like, Well, time to start another one, <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. like just yeah. kind of keep you gotta keep it going. Like he's the kind exactly. of guy who will literally like he'll finish a book, he'll, you know, set it to publishing, and then the next day he'll be like working on the next book kind of thing. Right. Like, I don't know if he's as hectic as he used to be now that he's got kids and everything, but he he had um I remember like for many years, that was like his thing. He'd write like so many words a day. And then as soon as he was done the book, he would be starting a new book because he had, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and then sometimes he, he was doing a series that way. Other times he would just be doing like the next thing entirely. Yeah. But he had, you know, um, he always had that work ethic of like, um, you got to on one hand kind of enjoy yourself and, you know, remember that it's special, but at the same time, like treat it like you're digging ditches or or something. Exactly. Yeah you know, and, and not, you know, get so wrapped up in the idea that is special. It's kind of a bit of a paradox I find where it's like, um, and, and then you mentioned something earlier too, which is, I think also a thing that comes into play, which is the idea that sometimes it's easy to forget that like, even though this is kind of work and a job in a manner of speaking, um, and you kind of have to approach it in a workmanlike manner or a craftsman uh, like matter there is still a level at which like it is a break from other things you know right. and, and it can kind of stabilize your psychic space in, in a manner of speaking you know like what i'll find often is people um i, I think i still uh i don't know when i if, i'm uh, i'm not sh i don't remember when i started teaching this idea but like so i don't know if i did it in that class or not but i would often teach people this idea of like a hell week schedule like you make a schedule and then like when you're going to write in a week but then like throw that schedule away and remember yeah. like what's going to happen really is everything's going to go to hell mm -hmm. um and at some point when everything goes to hell like you need to have like 
in that week, like when might you be able to write? Because uh, one, you need to, you want to keep momentum through even these tough times so that you don't just stop cold. But two, you know, uh, when things are going to hell, you need a break. Right. Um, and you need to like, you know, at least there's like this thing you can control and you're good at and you've got like, as you know, something you enjoy that you can take some space for in your horrible week. Um, and, you know, in the sense, like prioritizing it, but having like that balance with other things in your life it is a tricky thing as is, you know, when, when you move from this one to the next one, you know, because right. on one hand, you got to, you know, to be fair to the book in a manner of speaking, you got to keep promoting it and stuff. But I know like if, if it people, like I know myself at least like by the time things out, I'm like, I'm doing something else, you know, uh, especially in traditional publishing, self-publishing is, it doesn't have as long a window, but in traditional publishing, uh, it's like, you know, by the time the book comes out, like you've been doing something else for like two years, maybe. Right. Um, so it's hard to kind of get back in the headspace of like, I'll, I'll find myself like I'm trying to promote this book. I don't remember what's in it. You know? Yeah. And I'm afraid to read it in case there's full of mistakes. Exactly. <laughs> you <Yeah. know>? yeah. <laughs> At that point, again, I don't want to read it anymore, but you know, right. I mean, I can usually connect the idea still in everything. Like I did spend serious time and I can remember it if I really try, but like at the same time, it's like, you know, there's that balance of like moving forward versus kind of running over the same ground of actually promoting right. this thing and trying to remember that people don't necessarily know anything about it. People still like, you know, I'll find myself surprised that like, like I was just at the Winnipeg Comic Con recently um, and I had, you know, old books on the table or whatever. And I'm really pushing like this comic I've been doing called The Eye Collector. But, you know, people are coming by and picking up like, you know, it's a book from 2009. Like, oh, what's this about? Like my first book. Yeah. And it's like, what is that book about? You know, like I do remember it, but at the same time, it's like the idea that it would be new to somebody is kind of, you know, it's easy to forget that it's like new to somebody. Right. It's, you know, it's like a new, new to you. It's sort of in a sense. Yeah. And I remember in, in uh, one of the, when I through the whole writing process, emailing, you occasionally back and forth asking questions mm -hmm. um mechanically just how some of these things how these some of these concepts work if i want to translate it into paper and i remember there was one email you sent to me it's probably one of the last ones before i published where uh where you said if uh if the not these exact words but essentially how i interpreted it was if the book if there's mistakes if the book sucks if people hate it um it doesn't really matter because you can just write another one like there's no, you can do it. And I found, I found solace in that because I can do it. You can keep doing it forever. You can keep trying. There's, you don't have three tries and you're out. So I, I really liked that too. And I think that's taken a lot of stress out of my mind because I'm sure there is stuff in that book that um, I, if I read it again, like you just said, I probably would want to change or that I don't like anymore or that I could have done better now. And but now you kind of just shrug your shoulders. It's just like, well, it's all building blocks to help the next project and the one after that and so on and so forth. So that I think is probably one of the, the biggest draws to writing and trying to pursue that as a career too. Just it's something, uh, even if, if you suck at it, you're not going to get fired. You can just keep doing it forever if you want. 
yeah, that maybe becomes its own like private hell, but there's a way in which um, <laughs> it is kind of freeing, I think. Like, like I, I'm very um, perfectionist in my tendencies. And what I had to learn was um, if I want to have any sort of career, I need to put limits on that. You know, so like my limit is um, when the book is accepted and ready for public and getting prepared for publication, there's like a few there's like a process of going through the proofs, you know, like where I'm checking proofs and like, I'll, I'll, I'll set a kind of time limit on that. Like I'll set, like, I give myself like two weeks or three weeks or a month or whatever it is that I have. Um, and that'll be my time when I'm a perfectionist and I'll be like, you know, obsessing about like every comma and every, I'll read it backwards. You know, I got just to make sure the words are spelled right. Like I'll, I'll do everything um, I can think to do and i'll like drive everyone insane because i'm being such a perfectionist and so yeah. persnickety about like i like message like <laughs> the designer and be like is there an extra space before the word is <laughs> two spaces or one you know like um but then once that like time limit is done and like my deadline has passed at that point it's like well if there's a mistake in it you know it's just too bad right like, it doesn't bother me anymore i'm fine you know, I won't uh, worry about it anymore. Like I had my little time to be a perfectionist and get it all out. Cause it's not that you shouldn't care about the quality or whatever, but there is like the, you know, I, I, again, like I'm very, you know, uh, obsessive about quality and perfectionism uh, is my thing in many ways, but like it just won't serve you uh, at a certain point. You'll just be paralyzed and you'll never do anything else. Or you'll just be feel bad about a mistake you made or whatever. Right. Like there's a certain point at which it's like, um, you have to like, let it go and do something else and, and keep in mind that the, uh, no one single thing is going to make or break you. Like I'll, I'll even find myself at once in a while, like I'll be working on a project and I'll be kind of thinking ahead of like, okay, when this is done, maybe I'll send it here. Maybe I'll send it there. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. Should I self-publish this or not publish it? And every once in a while I'll catch myself doing that kind of thing. And I'll have to stop and th I'll fit, I'll say to myself, you know what, if I pick the wrong publisher, it, I'll just write another book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You that know? was, uh, yeah, that was really big for me to be able to say, um, I can write another one. And especially with mended, because I think part of me, um, well, I think a part of a lot of people, um, when writing something like that, uh, especially in today's climate with, uh, Hollywood and the way movies are, you, you we're almost hardwired to, to, uh, consume it as fast as you can and then not even digest it and go, all right, I got to write a sequel now. Like that now the second one has to come out and the first one becomes entirely irrelevant. So a, a few people have asked me, are you, are, am I going to write a second one? Are you going to do more? And I think part of me wants to um, probably partly just because of how ingrained that is in my head now with trends. And, and then on top of that, having this be my first, um published work that like a lot of those characters are you hold uh near and dear to yourself uh, having worked on that for so long so part of me wants to go back and revisit this but i i, I keep telling people i don't think uh it, it's definitely not going to be a hollywood sequel coming out in the next year or two like that is way down the line if ever um, yeah, chasing but, trends is a dangerous thing. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and, so, and you're right uh, to point out sometimes the trend isn't obvious. It's not necessarily like you'll have obvious trends like, oh, vampires are hot right now. Right. right. But then you have non obvious trends like 
people are doing series, people are doing sequels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, movie movies are buying books for television. Yeah. These are non-obvious trends and they all, but they are trends and they shift. Like right now, it's very hard to sell a series to a publisher, even though it seems like there's a lot of series coming out. Um, you know, in the nineties, you know, you had, it, it was almost impossible to sell a horror novel, but you know, that trend shifted and now, you know, we've got a real boom in horror. Yep. Um, you know, uh, what I like to say around often is like, if you see a bandwagon going past your house, it's too late to jump on the bandwagon. You know, uh, people don't realize like it uh, often because just how trends work, you know, by the time you notice the trend it's typically too late to be part of that trend. Right now, you have an opportunity with instant publishing and social media and stuff to do that. Like I remember when Trump was president, some one brushed out a biography of Trump. Like you can do stuff like that, exactly. um, yeah. but it's you know it, it's hard to do, and it's it, it's um, not necessarily there's a real time limit, that, and you don't know what the time limit is. Unfortunately, like if your vampires are hot right now, you don't know. Does that mean? They're going to be hot for 10 years or does that mean like they're already dead and they're right. just republishing old vampire books and not actually buying new ones? Yeah. Yeah. And that was, uh, I, like I said before, writing this when uh, I was in the middle of writing uh, when Endgame came out and I was like, man, this is going to be annoying. Like, even though I published it and now it's published, the movie came out two, three years ago already. But writing it at the time when that came out, I was like, if I was publishing right now, I, I can just imagine all the, the social media comments and people saying, oh, it, like it, it's riding the coattails of, of Endgame. It's just another time travel story. So like it loses it already. I felt like it already would have lost that novelty because people would have said, oh, we just watched Endgame. We got our time travel fix like this is we don't need this anymore. This is just riding the hype of something else that already perfected it, if you want to say. So that that was always in the back of my mind when the movie came out anyway, and now it's been a, a little bit. But to have the book uh, not, like time travel was not the entire crux of the book as much as the characters and, and self-motivation was for them. But uh that that was uh, that was definitely in the back of my mind thinking of that where i was like especially when you have a trend that is that popular right because endgame was the the golden boy of, of all of all movies at that time anyway and that was people were excited for that for so so long so it's almost um like you said um trying to figure out how long a trend might last and then even committing to a trend like that is is scary because there's a lot of people who kind of just roll their eyes and uh, say, if it's not the best of the best in that trend, it's it's not worth it at all. And when the trend's on, there's a lot more competition. Like one of the yeah. reasons Harry Potter blew up, people don't realize that one of the big reasons that Harry Potter did well and blew up and became a massive success is because nobody was publishing fiction, YA fantasy, and nobody was publishing about wizards. In fact, yep. she was turned down for that reason. There was no market. It was there was considered to be no market for that kind of book. Yep. Now they were wrong. There was an underserved market, mm-hmm. um, but the fact is, you know, like um, at the time she published the book, there was no competition. Yeah, uh, and that's sort of why the book blew up in many respects. You know, 
um, you know, people wanted books about wizards, but nobody was publishing them because everyone thought, you know, nobody wants books about wizards kind of thing. Yeah. That's not exactly it. That's an oversimplification, but that's very much like the thing that can happen. Whereas when everyone, now that everyone's publishing wizards and Harry Potter clones are all over the place or right. whatever, you know, it's just very hard to be noticed. Um, you know, it's always hard to get noticed, but like that competition doesn't help in that way. Uh, but like you also have just weird things, right? Like I have a friend who in 2018, 2019, she sold a novel and it was slated to major publisher and it was slated for publication in 2020. Um, and it did. And the novel was about as a science fiction novel about a coronavirus pandemic. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, of course, you know, by the time 2020, summer 2020 rolls around, you know, now everyone's in a coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> now the publisher is like, well, we don't even know if we should publish this novel kind of thing. Yeah. Now they eventually did publish it. They did, they did kind of stick to their plan and, it, you know, it did well. It's a great book and everything. But like, you know, who, who, I mean, on one hand, who would have predicted that? On the other hand, she's literally predicting it in the book, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, so one of the things that was freaking her out actually as she was, you know, like doing her edits, she was like, she's like, you know, it's, I think I'm right. And the science here makes sense. <laughs> it's like inevitably going to be a coronavirus pandemic soon. Yeah. And she's just freaking out about it a little personally. And then it starts to, she starts to, you know, she's doing all this research about it. And so before other people, she's like getting the news and all this stuff. But like now all of a sudden, like that is like in the way of your book coming out in a certain right. sense. And like, there's a level of notoriety. Now your book is kind of gathering, which it could help it. It could hurt it. You know, hard to say, you know? Exactly. Um, so ultimately like, because she's uh, an excellent writer and wrote an excellent book, like that will have some staying power when all these other kind of flash in the pan things have gone. Right. Um, but that's really the thing you have to kind of almost keep in mind is like the time it's almost like Warren Buffett's investing strategy. You know, it's like not, no, let's not pay attention to what's hot right this second or what might be hot tomorrow, but like, okay, people will always want to drink Coca-Cola, like, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. Like, uh, you know, people need shoes, you know, like that's sort of like, um, you know, you have to kind of be thinking in that longer horizon, which is, which is frankly hard to do because humans just biologically and psychologically aren't wired for it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So figuring all that out was, was definitely interesting for sure. And then uh, one thing I, I, I struggled with um, writing for sure. Um, and that I, I think I emailed you about, I emailed, um, the editor as well and about um detail because i know and i think that was huge in, in even university too um writing projects um creatively and i think so many people um uh, i would imagine so many people get hung up on uh the detail because everyone wants to be the the stephen king of detail right you want to in your mind you think if you want to like crank out two pages describing the most random things just just because it, it looks good right so I, I got really hung up on that at the beginning anyway and then uh during the times I wasn't writing I got really really into um reading Michael Crichton I bought a a, a ton of his library of books um from uh his original Jurassic Park books to um, some of the ones that have come out since he passed, 
that have been finished for him. But he, I admire everything about his writing from the ideas to the way he writes because it was so on almost all his books not really Jurassic Park is probably the worst example of this but some of his newer ones that have been finished anyway um they're they're written and described so plainly and in very short blunt sentences and but it, it works so um it's it's such a weird skill because I feel like I can't do it I feel like I write two sentences to describe uh, a couch and it's like this does not sound like a couch in my head but he writes two sentences describing um an, an apartment building and you have this full image in your head based off these two sentences so um when I started writing and I was reading his books and now especially writing a new project now it's something I keep in mind that and I think you have probably said it before I might be wrong that that less is more almost when when you're writing it, it's so important for so many things to uh to not flood the page with words because you want that page count to be higher or something like that so that that was really big for me and uh and a big inspiration in in some of the stuff I I'm writing now and a little bit in mended it wasn't so much in mended but Michael Crichton's uh work and a lot of it posthumously unfortunately uh is some of his best novels they, they were fantastic and it was great that a perfect example of less is more in my mind yeah what i often will give people as an exercise is um imagine you had to pay the reader a dollar for every word they read and you know how do you get you know if you've got a poem that's 15 words you know how do you get it down to 10 bucks you know kind of thing yeah how do you just keep slashing it and slashing it um and like you know that 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 more luxurious style can work for people um but it just becomes difficult in a lot of ways um readers just don't tend to patience for it unless it's perfectly executed right um but also it's just you know the more words you have the more problems you have in a manner of speaking even just exactly. simply on a grammatical level, it becomes grammatically complicated yeah. to for anyone to understand what's being said or what the point of the sentence is or, or whatever. Um, Crichton also, as you say, had a good talent. Like, of course, Crichton did a famous uh, time travel book called Timeline, uh, which I actually mentioned in one of my books uh, in my book, The Lighting of Possible Storms, is a story called Judith, where um, this character has left uh her copy of time michael crichton's timeline on the bed and this other character's returning it to her kind of thing at one point and so I, but like t- crichton was a really um powerful writer at taking that like he would have like a hard science concept yeah and he would explain it very simply and bluntly and quickly yeah you know it's like boom boom, boom this is how the time travel works gotta go uh yeah. and, you know and now there's arrows flying um <laughs> right you know like it's very quickly and it, it did make sense if you looked at it you know, could argue how much sense it made like any science fiction thing but um you know he did have a real clear um set of ideas um that he would get across really quickly and then he would return to like you know the action of the scene or, or what right. have you um, as opposed to, you know, as you say, the tendency for a lot of writers is one to give too much information and too fast. Um, and then that'll also bleed into like, you know, details and descriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
let me ask you as a final question, just sort of um, why this book kind of and this story mattered to you, uh, you know, outside of, you know, seeing it as like a thing you needed to accomplish to move forward and your kind of life and career. Like, what did you, what it's like about the story sort of itself made you uh, keep returning to it um, and made it a story you really wanted to tell? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it was this, um, I guess the underlying message, if you want to call it, that is buried beneath all of the science fiction nonsense and the pirates and time travel and everything was uh, this want to tell a story about how everyone anywhere um, is is part of, in real life, is part of everyone else's story. Um, like you, I play a character, for lack of a better word, in the lives of my siblings and my parents and my friends, coworkers, boss, so on and so forth. You, you kind of have these roles everywhere that you're not really aware of. And I think it was kind of a cool message to say, um, to be like, you don't really know the scope of what you're involved in at all at any given time, but you are a gear in someone else's story that's moving along. And all these pieces are, are moving along in ways you don't know and that you don't understand or that you're not even aware of. So I thought that was a really important thing to say. Um, like everyone's kind of important. You can say that's, and it kind of sounds cheesy to say it out, out loud in that way. But uh, I th and in, in such a crazy, busy, moving world with our 8 billion people now, I guess, um, that it's, it's very easy to kind of lose yourself in like a eight to five job, um, rinse and repeat, do it all over again. And kind of your life is static. So to say, to write this story and be like, yeah, you have all these characters, some uh, these, these pirates and then some people in, in uh, the present time who are living these average boring lives. And then you um, individually, they all look kind of lame. Nothing's really exciting, even for the pirates, because um, they don't know any better. So their lives are mundane to them, probably. But then when you mash these all together and you have all these moving parts, suddenly it becomes this huge web of all these different motives and needs and wants kind of uh pushing everyone into their own little space so that was kind of the underlying idea that i wanted that uh there's all these stories and it's kind of about these characters finding their own role in someone else's story which i thought was pretty cool and of course as cheesy as it sounds, it becomes less cheesy when you bury it under the mounds of science fiction and all the nonsense that comes along with that. Well, thanks uh, very much for talking to me and congratulations again on uh, the book. Um, again, it's Brady Teal. Mended is the book. Um, the best place to find it right now is on Amazon. Um, so thanks for talking to me, Brady. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. And uh, keep writing the wrong way. Yeah, yeah.